Hello! You're plugging in to the Evolution Sermon Podcast. We're so excited to share with you another awesome message from Pastor Charmaine. Have an awesome day. We'll see you at church. My message today is the radical way of the cross. You have your Bibles with you? You're going to do some flipping with me, all right? But what I do want to speak on today instead is something that God has been speaking to me in my life the past couple of years, as well as, I don't know, reflections on things that are happening in the world and where our church is moving towards. And what I really want to talk about is reconciliation. I want to talk about peace, peacemaking, redemption, restoration, shalom. The idea has many names. And so this has been something uh, that matters to me, especially since our church declared, our TiVo declared, that justice is going to be one of our core focuses as a community. So I think you've heard glimpses of it from me this year over the course of messages from UCH episodes, from the message, We Belong in Babylon, right? And in last week's message, Learning to Love as well. Um, because it's something I think for me personally that I've been grappling with as a leader, as a follower of Jesus. It's something I've been thinking a lot about because the world seems so uh, divided and broken. The world seems like, you know, nations and societies are becoming more and more uh, divided and about to go to war. People, we no longer seem to know how to get along after COVID, especially after COVID, right? You know, frustration, division, we don't know how to disagree, we disagree and we disconnect. And tension seems to be the dominant feeling all around. Even if it's not from us, even if it's not in our relationships, it seems to dominate the airwaves in our workplaces, you know, in the, on social media, everywhere, okay? And so today, that's what I want to talk about because I don't know about you, but I'm tired of living in a divided world. I'm tired of it in the news, I'm tired of it on social media, and most of all, I'm tired of, it, tired of it in my own personal life. So I want to talk about it today, and I want to speak a little bit on how God has been telling me personally and deeply to do social justice and to live in community in this world. And I, I want to challenge you, so it's not going to be a very deep message with a lot of content, but it's going to be just kind of a quiet time reflection, okay? So I want you guys to learn to follow Jesus in this area of your life. To be like Him, who is someone who brings peace, reconciliation, instead of kind of division in all our relationships in life, okay? So turn, turn, turn your, take out your Bibles, turn with me to Luke chapter 23, okay? And we're going to kind of continue on a little bit in the life of Jesus. Last week, we talked about the Last Supper and what Jesus did just before going to the cross. And today, we're going to look at Him going to the cross. Okay, Luke chapter 23, verse 32. And when you're there, shout very loudly, say yes, so I know. Yes. <laughs> that was so in unison. Fantastic. Bookstore told me uh, last week, Bible purchases shot up for the first time in a long time. So if you're a new Bible owner, Congratulations. It's going to change your life. <laughs> okay, ready? So I'm going to read to you from verse 32, okay? So they also led two other criminals to be executed with Jesus. When they arrived at a place called the skull, they crucified him along with the criminals, one on his right and the other on his left. And Jesus said, and this is one of my favorite lines in the Bible, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they are doing. 
Now the soldiers started drawing lots as a way of dividing up his clothing. The people were standing around watching, but the leaders sneered at Jesus saying, He saved others. Let him save himself if he is really the Christ sent from God, the chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him. They came up to him offering him sour wine, which is, well, in this context, it's like vinegar mixed with some sort of narcotic to relieve his pain, okay? So, so they offered him some sour wine and were saying, if you really are the king of the Jews, save yourself. Above his head was the notice of the formal charge against him and the charge was not a criminal, not you stole something, not you killed somebody. It read, this is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals hanging next to him, Jesus, insulted him. Aren't you the Christ? Save yourself and us. Responding, the other criminal spoke harshly back to the other criminal. Don't you fear God, seeing that you've also been sentenced to die? We are rightly condemned, for we are receiving the appropriate sentence for what we did. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus replied, I assure you that today you will be with me in paradise. Verse 44, it was now noon and darkness covered the whole earth until about three o'clock while, while the sun stopped shining. Then the curtain in the sanctuary in the temple of God tore down the middle. Crying out in a loud voice, Jesus said, Father, into your hands I entrust my life. And after he said this, Jesus breathed his last for the last time. And when the centurion saw what had happened, he praised God saying, it's really true, this man was righteous. Actually, I love how the Message Bible, you have that. It translates that line as, this man was good. You know, I hope that's what God says about me. I hope that's what people say about me, that this human was good. So what made Jesus good? What was the way of the cross, the radical way of the cross that we're talking about today that Jesus demonstrated in the last few hours of his earthly life? Now, I warn you, I might end up raising more questions today than answers for you about real-life relationships, okay? Because some of it is still kind of messing with me a little bit. But are you ready? Point number one, Jesus forgave with a crazy degree of empathy. Jesus forgave with a crazy degree of empathy. You know, our passage tells us that when Jesus was crucified, one of the things he chose to do was to pray for the people who put him there. The religious leaders who falsely accused him and who were now there sneering at him, the Bible tells us. The Roman soldiers who tortured him and nailed him to the cross and now were casting lots to divide up the very clothes he came with to the cross. The people who were standing around, some just watching with no compassion, there to see a show, take some Instagram pics and post a story, I don't know. But some were his own followers who were doing nothing to save him. And this is what Jesus does on the cross. John tells us he prays. Jesus prays. He says, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they are doing. Let me repeat. He says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they are doing. You know, this line to me is one of the most confounding statements Jesus ever makes in the Bible. He makes some pretty confounding statements. You know, and for me, this is probably the most infuriating prayer of forgiveness I have ever heard, ever. 
I mean, listen, right? Most of us here, if you've been a Christian long enough, if you come for church white quiet, quiet time, you know, last week, you know how to pray to forgive someone, right? There are some very basic, simple steps, right? You go, Father, I bring to you this person who hurt me, right? Step number one. Then after that, you go, here are all the things, the ways he, she, they have hurt me and how it made me feel, right? Step number two. And now, God, I forgive them and I release them into your hands. And maybe you'll add on if you're a very nice person. Number four, God bless them. Because, right, Jesus said, love your enemy, pray for them and bless them. That's basically it, right? And then, of course, you pray as many times as you need to pray until your heart stops bleeding. But Jesus, here in this passage, takes it to a whole other level. He says, forgive them. And then the next thing, because they don't know what they are doing. Wait, wait, wait. Lord, what are you saying here? I mean, has the blood loss gone to your head? These people know what they are doing. I mean, isn't that your response? I mean, it's my response, right? I mean, Jesus, the religious leaders are evil sociopaths. They are narcissists who manipulated and lied to kill you. The Roman soldiers are these wicked sharks who knowingly participated in the injustice. They physically abuse you. And now before you are even cold in your grave, they are gambling for your clothes. And then, God, God, come on, the crowds, the ones who follow you, who say they love you, Jesus, they are cowards standing by and doing nothing. I mean, Jesus, where's your example to us of self-care and boundaries? Listen, the Son of God, the King of the universe, not only does He not retaliate, He forgives. And not only does He forgives, He does so with such empathy that even for people like us, you know, in our opinion, you know, we do forgiveness as Christians. You know, we are going, are you kidding me? They know not what they do. Are you serious, Jesus? Listen, not long ago, I went through a season where I became just really bitter, angry, and sad with life. You know, been there before? You know, TiVo has just started getting more outspoken about social justice issues and our opinion on equity and justice in Christianity. And it was the first time we started to have to navigate external pressure from Christians who didn't like our message. Then we also started having to navigate COVID around the same time. And with that came a lot of pressure of trying to be a leader who could make this community work for everyone, move us online. You know, there were members who were struggling with their mental health, leaders who were burning out, and also difficult people who weren't contributing but had a lot to say about what we were doing and making life hard for other people around them who were serving. And at some point, I think if you're a normal human being, right, like me, it started to build and build and snowball until for a couple of months, despite doing all the praying and all the forgiving, doing all the right things to be kind and more like Jesus, I started to become really angry on the inside. Angry at human beings, angry at the people around me, angry at Christianity, angry with the world. And I did my best, right? Because I'm a pastor, I got to hold it in. I got to be like zen in front of my people. No, you can still forgive and be kind and be goodness in the world, right? But one day, I remember at the pool, I was swimming. I said to God, I don't know what happened that week, but something happened. And I went, God, I'm so angry. And Lord, I don't like the person that I am becoming. You know, I prayed something like, God, I need you to change my heart. 
I need you to give me some sort of revelation that's going to change my perspective about people and the world, or I'm going to become disconnected, bitter. You know, I'm going to be a leader that's no good to anyone in TiVo. And I'm going to eventually end up hurting someone. I remember that season, I was doing a lot of apologizing to the leader. I'm so sorry. My attitude was so bad just now. I'm so sorry. I, I, I was a little too snappy. I'm so sorry I was a little bit too fierce to you. You know, every night, apologizing. And you know what? For whatever reason, finally that day, when I prayed that prayer, God answered. And he brought to mind the words of Jesus here that we just read. Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they do. And I realized in that one moment of God speaking to me as I was swimming, that most of the time when any of us prays to forgive, we tend to do so from a place of self-righteousness. And the problem with self-righteousness is twofold. First, self-righteousness causes us to make a lot of assumptions. You know, it causes us to assume the worst of people that disagree with us. To assume that we are in the right, or we are better, or the one who is being victimized, or the one who is being blamed. Now, sometimes that's really true, right? That's the reality. Sometimes we really do have the better way. Sometimes we really are the bigger person, right? But a lot of times, assumption tends to end up coloring our perception and prevent us from being kind and being connected and coming to any sort of compromise or resolution or reconciliation with the people around us, right? Then if we keep it in long enough, we also, you know, start to blame. We start to lash out. We start to become passive-aggressive. We start to gossip, right? We start to complain. We start to indulge in confirmation bias, right? We forget every good thing that that person or that organization has done for us. And we remember only the bad things that confirm our assumptions. Or if you, like me, are the more non-confrontational kind, you start to sweep things under the rug. You say yes when you mean no. You expect others to guess what you're thinking. And then you become offended when they don't. <laughs> Come on, be honest. I'm bearing my heart out to you today. So you better be honest with me, right? <laughs> self-righteousness never leads to a connection, only disconnection. Secondly, self-righteousness also makes it really hard to truly forgive and truly move on. You know, it traps us, even if you know, we are letting go of narcissistic relationships, abusive, toxic, unhealthy relationships, we still are not trapped in the endless loop of why are people like that? Why is my boss like that? Why is my manager like that? Why are my friends in school like that? Why is my family like that? Why are the people in, I'm in relationship with like that? Then if you're very good, high right, very self-aware, regulation, going to therapy, then you start to ask, why am I attracting people like that? What's going on in the dynamics of how I grew up and my background that I'm attracting people to abuse me, right? So when I was in the pool that day, God said to me, and this was a big revelation, He said, you were once the person who didn't know what you were doing. You have gossiped and hurt people without realizing it's not okay. You have been childish and immature and blamed others before and then realized you were the problem and not them. You were once the judgmental Christian who thought you were defending the gospel, but actually you were hurting people. Then God says, so when I say, forgive them, 
for they know not what they do. They is not just them. They is also you. Oof. You see, empathy for those that hurt us or those who disagree with us isn't accepting abuse or losing our individual rights or subsuming ourselves to give in to people who are in power, people who are entitled or people who are mean. Empathy is simply accepting that all of us have some sort of brokenness on our inside and sometimes cannot help how we behave and what we believe about any given situation. And what I have found is learning to empathize even as I forgive, it allows me to stop spiraling into bitterness and jadedness. It helps me to stay in a space where I can keep connecting with people instead of shutting myself off from them. Now, of course, in real life, in actual practice, it's not always easy emotionally. It is complicated navigating relationships and community and being a leader. But empathy always works better than the alternative. You see, the thing about Jesus on the cross was he didn't just forgive us from a place of self-righteousness, even though he, as God, had every reason to be self-righteous. I mean, he's the guy with impeccable morals. He's the man who created, he's the God who sat up there for thousands of years and watched human beings destroy the world and each other. And then now he comes down and dies on the cross. I mean, he of all people has a right to be self-righteous. But instead, under the most extreme of circumstances, Jesus chooses to forgive with this crazy degree of empathy. They don't know what they are doing. So my challenge to you guys really is in this whole climate of division and tension lately, is there someone or some people in your life you need to extend forgiveness and empathy to? You know, a friend who violated your trust by gossiping about you behind your back, a parent who broke a promise and let you down, someone who said something hurtful in a moment where you weren't prepared for it, even if it was true, you know, a boss who you feel is not taking care of your best interests, a co-worker who hasn't been pulling their weight and might be playing politics against you, you know, or just somebody you disagree with. Are you disconnecting because of your anger and your assumptions? Or are you following the way of the cross like Jesus and finding a way to connect where possible and reconcile if you can? Now, let me be very clear. Jesus didn't reconcile with everyone. By dying on the cross for us, he made reconciliation available for anyone who wanted to reconcile with him. But he made it available. Are you making reconciliation available? So that's number one. The second thing I want to say about this climate that we can learn from Jesus' example is number two, Jesus was present for others even under pressure. So again, the Bible tells us there were two criminals, right? Crucified alongside Jesus. Okay, so let's look at verse 39. Tell me when you're there. Okay, so it says there, one of the criminals hanging next to Jesus insulted him. Aren't you the Christ? Save yourself and us. 
Responding, the other criminal spoke harshly back to that guy, Don't you fear God seeing you've also been sentenced to die? We are rightly condemned, for we are receiving the appropriate sentence for what we did. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he says to Jesus, Remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus replies, I assure you that today you will be with me in paradise. Now, imagine for me what is going on on this very intense day, okay? Jesus is on the cross in tremendous, inexplicable pain and agony. I mean, think about it, right? Over the last few days, he's been tortured. His wounds are still raw from the 39 lashes from the Roman soldiers, many of which historians will tell you because of the kind of whip that the Romans would have used on criminals, would have ripped out his flesh and in some cases all the way to the bone. So that raw flesh is rubbing against the rough, dirty, dusty, splintered wood of the cross. The nails holding Jesus, uh, Jesus up are not the machine smooth nails we use today. They were probably raw iron, possibly rusty. They had to be big enough to hold him up. He's also got a crown of thorns digging into his scalp and sweat is entering those wounds and stinging him. And again, remember who is surrounding Jesus, right? His accusers, his abusers, a few friends maybe, and many spectators. And then you have these two criminals. One joins in to insult him. The other, great on him, chooses to take responsibility for whatever put him there. But I also find it funny, right? This is a terrible EQ moment, right? He chooses that moment to ask Jesus to remember him. Okay, okay, I'm just joking, right? I'm being a little judgy here. But, but you know, in my opinion, not the best EQ, not the right moment. Could I pick the better moment? You know, could have done it maybe beforehand. <laughs> now while we're hanging here, bleeding to death. I'm kidding, I'm kidding. But look, what I'm saying is this. Under such extreme duress, Jesus still found it him, himself, in himself, to be present for this man. To comfort him, to assure him, and say to him, today, you will be with me in paradise. <gasps> that was Jesus. Even under the worst of pressures, he still finds a way to be present with us. I mean, it's not just here, right? It's everywhere in the, account, in the accounts of Jesus' life. When ministry got too busy and he was tired, he still made time to be present with the people. I mean, he didn't make time to be alone and in solitude, especially to pray. But whenever the crowds needed him, he found a way to be present for them. And never mind this crazy situation on the cross. Just think about the days leading up to it, our passage from last week, right? Jesus knew he was going to be betrayed. He knew all the prophecies that foretold he would be mocked, rejected, tortured, killed. And now, you know, and during the Last Supper, it's the days running up to his eventual death. I mean, just think about the anxiety Jesus must have been feeling that week. The emotional distress that was building in his life as he was celebrating the Last Supper with his disciples. And yet, in the midst of that pressure, what did Jesus do? He washed their feet. He taught them about the Holy Spirit. He broke bread with them. He assured them that everything was going to be okay. Listen, if that 
isn't bigness as a leader, as a saviour, as a friend. I don't know what is. Because I confess for myself that many times during this pandemic, I want to be just able to just think about myself. Just me. Right? In the face of frustrations, endless decisions to be made, taking care of people, solving problems, leading the church, worrying about finances, I just want to check out. And sometimes I do. Thank God I've got a team that's very understanding. And some of that is okay. Jesus did it. He took time to be in solitude, right? But there's also the side of Jesus that convicts me, that challenges me, that inspires me as a human being. That often the way, the radical way of the cross is way bigger of a heart than I am used to or sometimes willing to give. A heart that is present for other people even under tremendous pressure. You see, this is actually really important for us to be able to do, even though it's hard. Because have you noticed very often, guys, when we are isolated and disconnected and caught up in our own fears and worry and in isolation, right, we tend to, again, start making assumptions about other people. We want others to come alongside us and give us a sense of belonging. We get upset when people don't reach out to us or cannot read our mind. You know, we want them to show up when we want them, how we want them, at the right moment, right time. And we get upset, we go like, you know, they can't even make time for me. <laughs> right? We want people to know without us having to say anything. But we seldom stop to ask ourselves, are we building the bridges and giving the same presence that we expect of other people? Now, let me again assure you, we can't help it as human beings. It's our natural instinct to self-preserve. It is baked into the brainstem of your reptilian brain. <laughs> but that's the unevolved part of your humanity. That's the caveman part of your humanity. It's not the way of Jesus. It is not the way of evolved civilization. It is not the way of the cross. Because Jesus calls us to sometimes do what is an instinct. But to do what is right. To do what is good. To do what is healthy for our well-being and for others. To be radically present for each other. You see, there's this study from the University of Notre Dame, right? In the science of generosity. And there are two findings in this study. It always sticks with me and it always bothers me especially in the context of Singapore, because here's the two findings, okay, that bother me. Number one, they found in the science of generosity in their research that poor people are consistently more generous than rich people. Both with their resources, their finances, all that, and their presence in other people's lives. The second thing they found in this study is that the richer we become, the more stingy with our resources and time we also become. And for me, that's a huge problem because as a follower of Jesus, as a follower of Jesus living in a very privileged context, you know, God, how do I stop myself from being selfish with my money, my time, and my resources? How do I go against the flow? How do I teach and inspire a generation that comes to church every week to be more like Jesus, to follow the way, the radical way of the cross, in an environment, especially in Singapore, that teaches us everything and every way otherwise. 
Look, you got to understand, the God we follow is Jesus. You know, and here's what for me is very compelling. You know, I love to study other religions. I love to learn from other religions. But the one thing for me that makes our religion unique is not Jesus is the only way, the truth, and the life. But for me, in our narrative of our faith, He is the only God who gives us His very person and presence. He is not a God who changes us by philosophy or rituals. He changes us by a deep connected relationship with us. By choosing to be present with us. 2,000 years ago, He chose to imbibe the body of a man and walk on this earth with us. And today, He sends the Holy Spirit that when we pray, there's this weird intimacy. I think we're the only people on the face of the earth that are crazy. We come to church and we cry and say, we love Jesus. We love you. We're in love with you. We want to be married to you. We want to live our life for you. Right? Yeah. And not just the values of our faith. Not just the ideas of our faith. But the person of our faith. And so, if we have a God who chooses to be present with us so radically, can we do the same with Him? And can we do the same for other people and for each other? So, one of the things, right, I'm learning to navigate in my life this year. In fact, my, my goal for this year was to grow boundaries. Right? Great word, right? Boundaries are important. I need more boundaries in my life. I want to teach my leaders, my teams, and you, one day when I've got it down, how to have boundaries as well. But I will say this. I do sometimes also see the side of self-care and boundaries that gives me too much reason to be selfish or siloed. To prioritize myself too much over others. To prioritize my in-group too much over other groups. And sometimes, especially for me as an introvert, Sometimes boundaries can become my excuse to disconnect and shut off from other people. To disconnect from the relationships that I need and they need me. To disconnect from the relationships that can actually help us to grow and thrive. And as we do that, you know what guys, when we disconnect by not being present, we also, again, like I said before, we start to make a lot of assumptions. We start to fill the gap and the space between us with our thinking. We start to fill the gap with what others are, we think others are thinking about us. So let me tell you, this is a scientific thing, okay? That when there's a gap between groups, right, not only does what we think of the people separate us, what we fear people are thinking about us starts to make the gap grow even bigger. Sound familiar? Have you been doing that the past couple of years? Doing that occasionally your whole life? You know, never talk to your best friend for two weeks and start to wonder, do they really love me? Do they know what's happening in my life? Come on, all the best friends here, nudge your best friend and go like, hey, that might be us sometimes, right? We start to make assumptions. Listen, that's not what boundaries are supposed to do. Boundaries are supposed to help us foster better, healthier connections, not create more disconnection. But I see it over and over again lately, all over the place, through stories from you guys when we meet to talk, you know, that when we're not present or others are not present in our lives, it leads to a lot of misunderstandings. 
a lot of echo chambers, sometimes gossip chambers. And the cultures and atmospheres between us and in our communities, in our workplaces, in our schools, in our families get spoiled. And the sad thing is, everyone, thanks to social media, is labeling everyone toxic, narcissistic, sociopathic, right? When really sometimes, in many cases, not all, but a lot of cases, it's merely a loss of connection that led to false assumptions. So I read some other studies this week, right? That got me like, oh my God, very worried about my CGLs in church. You want to hear it? So the first thing I found out is, you know, I was researching, you know, how are people faring in the third year of the pandemic cycling out of everything, right? And what they found in studies is that the mental health of workers and bosses is going up. But the mental health of managers is the only one going down. Okay? Second, second, second report I, I, I read, second thing was, the burnout rate for pastors is 46% and 50% of pastors are thinking of leaving the ministry because they are fed up with their congregations. <laughs> Don't worry, not leaving you. I'm committed to the end. For better or worse, in sickness and health, okay? But I did start to get worried about your CGLs this week. I did start to get worried about our ops team leaders this week because they are the managers. They are also the pastors of this church. You know, we so many times we think about our experience of COVID from our experience. But we don't stop to think, what is my colleague facing? What is my manager feeling? What is my CGL going through? Right? Because most of the time, especially leaders, there's just a certain dynamic. We don't say everything that's going on in our lives. But sometimes, you know, even your leader needs to hear from you. Your ops leader needs to hear from you. Hey, how are you doing? Are you okay? If you're not doing okay, can I step up to help so that you can have an easier week? Amen? Look, if you had a workplace that was toxic before COVID, then COVID has been a great time to expose that, accept that, and move on. But do you know that many workplace study has, studies have actually shown that most workplaces are not toxic, but that most of us during the pandemic are facing the grass is greener syndrome. Right? And so, we hop to another place only to then later, two years later, discover actually my previous place was better. Or, you know what, you will start to realize if you're mature, okay, I'm realizing now there are no perfect organizations. I just need to stay away from toxic organizations, but there are always going to be toxic people in good organizations even. Right? So, the interesting thing is many people that have participated in the great resignation are learning recently that actually the grass isn't that greener on the other side. The grass is maybe equally green. Right? And that workplaces just sometimes have different strengths and different weaknesses and you do your best to find one that fits. So it really boils down to this. Wherever you go, whichever community you choose to be a part with, now of course choose one whose values you resonate with. But wherever you go, it's actually your choice whether you want to be someone who is present, someone who is showing up for other people, Someone who is building connection instead of creating division. 
Because, come on, let's be real, right? Nobody likes a divisive atmosphere. I don't even think divisive people like divisive environments. I mean, have you ever, right, guys, gossip, right, or said something negative about someone behind their back, even if it wasn't meant to be malicious, and then the next day you see that person, you can't really be yourself around them because you, ne- you know you said something you shouldn't have, <laughs> right? I guarantee at the very least it causes you some discomfort and for your heartbeat to jump a few rates faster. I just got a new Apple Watch, so I know when I'm anxious. <laughs> Right? You can't, you know, you can't really be normal unless you're a narcissist or a sociopath or a psychopath. Because if you're a normal human being, you will start worrying what other people think of you. Right? So here's the thing, right? Being a connector is actually better for your mental health than being a disconnector. In fact, it's the best guarantee of healthy mental health in all of us. So listen, be someone who is present for others even under pressure. You know, the simple golden rule, Jesus says, do unto others what you would have them do to you. You know, is there someone that you could have been more present for lately? A friend in TiVo? You know, your leaders, members in your connect group? You know, members for you, you know, can you be there for your peers? You know, and not go, my leader's the one who has to settle everybody in the connect group. You know, can you pay attention that sometimes some of your friends are really tired and busy and going through stuff in life, even as they hold up the church? Can you appreciate them, encourage them, and say thank you, and lend a hand? You know, is, you know, is it for you maybe a colleague at work? Is it a boss? You know, is... You know, is there a way for you to be a part of creating more of a culture of connection instead of an atmosphere of division? You know, all in your life is being present right now about being present with God Himself. Present with Him even when you are under pressure. You know, again, let me say this. You know, so often, right, we want God to show up for us, and rightfully so. But we also need to be people that want to show up for God. I mean, have you ever thought about it? You know, if we are so distressed by the things that happen in the world, do you not think that God is not distressed? But we're always going, God, let me tell you how I feel. Do we ever, when we pray, go, God, how are you feeling today? Amen? Can I go on? Finally, point number three. Jesus was committed to reconciliation to the end. I mean, he was committed to the value of shalom, to the purpose and beliefs of creating a better world, better humanity, connection with God, till the very end. You see, you got to understand, right? At the end of the day, that was Jesus' whole mission on earth, to bring shalom, which is reconciliation and wholeness to humanity's relationship with God, to humanity's relationship with each other, to humanity's relationship to creation. So, human beings, listen, you and me were always meant to be God's conduits for a better world moving forward. Now, you may be thinking lately, as sometimes I confess I've been thinking, I mean, what is the point? We're going to all die from climate change anyway. You know, or maybe next week, Russia will just nuke us all. 
right? The divisions and divides are too deep. I just don't see how we're going to ever agree or, or reconcile. But I want you to see what Jesus' commitment eventually produced. So Luke chapter 23, this time I've got it on a projection for you. It says there, it was now about noon and darkness covered the whole earth until about three o'clock while the sun stopped shining. Then the curtain in the sanctuary tore down the middle. Now bear in mind, like John is jumping scenes here because the temple is a couple of miles away, not at the scene where Jesus is being crucified. But he says the curtain in the sanctuary tore down in the middle. Crying out in a loud voice, Jesus said, Father, into your hands I untrust my life. And after he said this, he breathed for the last time. When the centurion saw what had happened, he praised God saying, it's really true, this man was righteous. And all the crowds who had come together to see this event returned to their homes, beating their chests after seeing what had happened. Now, listen, I've always wondered, right, when I read this passage, did the centurion believe because the sky turned dark? Did the crowds repent because when they described they were beating their chests, it is actually a sign of Jewish mourning? Did they repent, repentance and mourning, and did they repent and mourn for Jesus because the sun stopped shining? <gasps> God has showed up. I mean, it, could, it couldn't have been the ripping of the veil, right? And you and I are Christians, so we know the theology, we know the symbol of it is that the veil was torn open so that now we can have free access to God. We don't have to do rituals and killing sheep and all that to get to Jesus, right? So we know that, but nobody in that, on that day watching the crucifixion knew that. It happened in the temple miles away. So they wouldn't have witnessed that act, which to me is very supernatural. I mean, if I were in the temple and suddenly the curtains went, I'd be like, oh my God, God is real. I mean, the rest, right? I mean, it's kind of dramatic, but it's just weather. But I get it, right? Human beings, we like to read stuff into the weather. Right? We wonder sometimes when we see natural disasters or pandemics happen, is it the judgment of God? You know, is creation judging us for taking it for granted, right? I mean, come on, be real. You don't have to be a Christian to think that way, right? Something in us, human beings, we think like that. You know, I mean, recently, right, the queen, at Queen Elizabeth's funeral, when a double rainbow appeared over Westminster Abbey and the Queen's coffin, some people went, it's a sign. Confirming that Queen Elizabeth was a good person. I'm sure she was a good person, all right? But sometimes, you know, human beings, it feels like it's easier to let a rainbow decide whether someone is good or not than it is to grapple with the fact that she was a woman who was complicated. That British colonialism is complicated. That everyone's hero, everyone that, you know, everyone that is someone's hero can also be someone's villain. So, did the dark skies make the centurion a believer? Or was it Jesus' love and compassion and mercy that he demonstrated repeatedly, right, over and over and over again? Over the three years that he ministered to people and loved people unconditionally, over the time that Jesus was on trial and being tortured, even while he was on the cross with his last human breaths, nailed there, he was present for people. 
Because think about it, right? If you read this passage, right? Interpreting a dark sky as a sign that Jesus was innocent is pretty difficult, unlike a rainbow. I mean, dark skies could go either way, right? How many of you watch Netflix, right? Any watch fantasy shows or you all watch Korean drama? I watch fantasy shows, right? So in Netflix, fantasy shows, right? It's standard fare, right? There's always a climax with dark skies. And really, dark skies can go either way. You know, it could mean evil is winning. It could mean heaven is mourning. Why would the centurion conclude that Jesus was innocent? And why did the people who were spectators that day suddenly return home in mourning for a Roman criminal? Listen, whatever natural phenomenon would have shown up that day, it wouldn't matter because it only served to confirm what people already knew in their hearts. That Jesus was the Son of God, the Messiah, teacher, prophet, whichever term they used on Him. The man who healed the sick, restored lepers, fed the poor. The rabbi who resurrected the dead just to return them to their loved ones who were mourning. The guy who showed love to those who had been crushed under the weight of religion. Who stood up against racism and sexism and elitism. Who broke bread with everyone. Even those rejected by mainstream society and labelled sinners in Jewish people's eyes. So listen, clouds rolling in and the sun being blocked from shining its light was just another reason to believe what they already knew to be true about Jesus Christ. So what do we have to learn today? Listen, you won't transform your relationships, your mental health, the spaces you do community in, all the world around you, if you just do what everybody else does in the world. If you just live for yourself, if you step, for, step on other people for your own benefit, if you join in the gossip, the bitching, the undermining people, if you join in with disagreeing too much, now there's good disagreement, but disagreeing for the sake of disagreeing, disconnecting because you're angry with everybody, judging, criticizing, living by confirmation bias, you know, being angry on social media. <laughs> you know, when we do all that, not only do we add to a world that's already divided, we damage our own inner peace. Our peace with God, our peace with each other, our peace with the world. So listen, don't ever think that being kind, being good, being generous, being a peacemaker, being present for other people, doesn't make a difference. It makes a difference. Your commitment to God and His values to the end, eventually it can convert the centurion who might have been an abuser, who might not have been a believer. It will convict the crowd who thinks there's no way the world can change. It's better to just sit, sit by and let it just roll by. You know what? Your radical empathy and forgiveness, your radical presence in the lives of others the way Jesus was, every time you do that for someone, even under your own pressure, you are living the radical way of the cross, the way of reconciliation. You are bringing people closer to God. You are bringing yourself closer to God. You are bringing each other closer to one another. You are making the world around you better the culture and atmosphere better. You are making TiVo a better place. So friend, whatever capacity you can right now, 
Let's be a part of the healing, not a part of the division. So that we can stop being tired. So then we can start to recover. So that we can start to build the future. So that we can start to be happy and joyful. And live for what matters in life. Amen. 